Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I have a very special guest on today's episode. I have Sean Cecil, who is a good friend and the executive director at the Oculus Institute. Sean has been on the previous podcast, the Zen Stoic podcast, a couple times. It was always a fun interview. So, Sean, welcome back to the show, or I guess welcome to the for the first time to this show. Honored to be here, man. I'm a. Uh, I always love to come on. I know my uh, my second appearance on the Zen Stoic original podcast was like one of the funnest podcasts that I've ever done. So. Oh yeah, we had, we had a great time. Yeah, we had Nico in there as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. I had a I had a lot of fun. Awesome, man. So I know you and I were talking previously about you know a few different things and how you've used the philosophies of Zen and Stoicism in your own life, uh, especially in the realm of investing, which I thought was interesting. And I know we talked about that on the previous interview that we did. So now it's been probably at least a year since we did that last one. So how have Zen and Stoicism played into your life as well as, you know, some of the things that you're pursuing professionally? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the, the main thing that I spend most of my time on um, professionally is, is really my coaching business. I do a lot of career coaching stuff. And uh, it was, the full, it, you know, this whole getting clear on your purpose and being true to yourself is what caused me to start that. Mm-hmm. And, and the principles of, you know, being not subject to like all the crap outside and, you know, disidentification and all the stuff that you learn from Zen is what gave me the fortitude to, you know, build a successful business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and that's all well and good. The, the whole concept of investing came about because, uh, I discovered I'm, I'm really, really good at it. And I actually make more money from trading than I do from coaching. Yes. Um, by, pretty significant margin to the, to the point that like I could retire today. I'm, I'm 31. I could retire today. I could never work. Yeah. Which is amazing. And have <laughs> very, very strong income. Yes. Um, and so before I dive into it, I do want to give a little bit of background on, on finance and, and, and my role in finance, because mm-hmm. I do think anybody who is, if you're listening to anybody on anything about finance or investing or trading, you want to make sure you're listening to the right people. Right. And that helps. (laughs) And and there's a very easy metric, right? At the end of the day, the numbers tell the tale. I don't care how much people, what story they spin, anything like this, your P and L at the end of the day is what matters. Right. Right. So I I used to work as a consultant at a big consulting firm. um, And then I was actually in finance for a while, writing algorithms for um, portfolios. And, and those are the two places I burned out. And then that's how I end up going down the road of discovering my purpose uh, as somebody who absorbs processes and transmits information and eventually, you know, starting the Oculus Institute and helping other people find that that purpose. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But I, I built those analytical and financial skills there. And so then, you know, I took up trading again uh, in uh, 2019. And so I started, it was August 1st of 2019. And the last five months of that year, I made 68% returns, which was wow. better than the top hedge fund that reported to Morningstar that, that year. That's, um, yeah, that's pretty significant. <laughs> pretty good. Um, most people shoot for, you know, 10 or 15% in their portfolio. Yeah, and that's a solid year too. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty solid year. Um, last year, 2020, I had 208% returns. Um, this year, uh, it's a little bit complicated because there's been deposits and withdrawals, but if you use a, a weighted average cost of capital mm-hmm. and assume that I stopped trading today, I would be around 400%. Wow. Over that. So, <laughs> um, I know those numbers are crazy i know that some people probably won't believe them that's fine i don't really care if you do or you don't i know i know it's the truth <laughs> um, once again the pnl tells the story yeah, exactly. the PL tells the story right you know i i have a statement from td ameritrade so yes anyway. <laughs> um so so yeah so that's my background and you know there in my mind ultimately like there's a certain degree of of investing and trading that's analytical mm-hmm. and that's something that you know if, if you're going to go do that, you need to learn. Um, but the majority of the battle is really mental, really, really truly is psychology. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wanted to detail like the different Zen and Stoic principles that are involved in that because they've played a major role in opening up this massive source of income for me. Yes. Right? And I, I trade, you know, maybe five minutes once every week or two or three. I don't put a lot of time into it. I'm not one of those people who sits in front of the computer all day. Mm-hmm. Um, which most traders I know who make a lot of money, that's what they do. I don't do that. Yeah, they sit with like tons of monitors happening all yeah. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't operate that way. And so it's, it's just, it's a lot of money with very little time. And I, I know some people are going to like latch onto that, like it's Santa Claus and, and get fixated on that. And we're going to talk about that fixation and obsession problem because mm-hmm. if you do that, you're actually guaranteed to fail. 
right? <laughs> it violates um, a lot of Zen principles <laughs> and Stoic principles. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so we'll definitely talk about that. Before we do, just um, some disclaimers. One, there's a difference between trading and investing. Um, trading is something that's done, you know, a lot more frequently. That's like what I do once every week. I actually check every day to see mm-hmm. if I need to make a trade, right? That's the kind of frequency you're talking about with trading. Some people trade, the people with all the monitors trade like multiple times throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very different from investing. Investing is where you reallocate your portfolio every quarter or every year or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what you're doing, investing is much safer, Yes. right? Um, trading is something that you can bankrupt yourself very, very quickly if you don't mm-hmm. know what you're doing. And we're going to talk about some of the ways that that happens. Yes. But I just I just want to give that disclaimer, right, that um, many of these principles will apply to both investing and trading. Mm-hmm. What I do and where I get those crazy numbers is trading. Um, I am very, very, very risk tolerant. Mm-hmm. I am very, very, very financially secure for various reasons. If you are, you know, 60 years old and planning to retire soon, you want to take up trading, be cautious. Yes. You know, make sure you do your homework, right? I don't I don't want to, you know, get somebody an email saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, I tried to go apply this. I took up trading, wiped out my retirement account, right? Like, caveat emptor, right? I'm not telling you guys what to do. You are responsible for your own decisions. Be smart. Um, protect yourself. Uh, and obviously, this is not financial advice. I cannot give financial advice. I am a licensed financial advisor. Um, I'm not currently working at an investment advisory firm. So um, that license is inactive. Um, yes. But I cannot give you advice if I do not know your personal situation. And legally, I can't do it if I don't have somewhere to hang my license. So I'm not giving you guys investment advice. I'm giving you educational material. You are responsible for you know being responsible with it. Yes, the license <laughs> is not valid over the Zen Stoic Path podcast <laughs> platform. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. So everybody just you know be aware of that. Um. So yeah, so regardless of whether you're investing or trading, I think one of the big principles um, from the Zen side of things Mm -hmm. is is stress and not letting yourself get stressed out. Yes. It's very easy when you're dealing with large amounts of money to make it like the focus and to, you know, get wrapped into it. And then, you know, something happens in the markets and then, you know, you let that consume your bandwidth. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely toxic for a couple of reasons. One is it just takes a, a really big toll on you. Um, yes. I remember when I used to do that um, way back. That was uh, that was not good. Um, <laughs> it, it, made, it made life utterly miserable. There were some painful lessons, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, there were some painful lessons, both in terms of like my quality of life, because, you know, I, I remember I would like pull up the app on my phone and I was checking the market every five minutes. Yeah. Right. And it's like, that is no way it's to like live. this compulsion almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was an addiction, honestly, you know, and, and so, you know, you don't want to let yourself get to that point stress-wise. But the other thing is that if you're in that point stress-wise, you don't make good decisions. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I could, I could speak from experience. Um, there back in 2016, there was one time I wiped out my whole life savings. <laughs> yes. I remember um, you've told me, you're like, yes, I have, uh, I've bet my entire net worth at, at certain points in time. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is I've done that, you know, a fair few times and mm-hmm. most of the time I've been right, which is why I'm in the position that I'm in. But if I look at the times when I've been wrong, it's almost always been because I made a bad decision because I was stressed because I was fixated on something because I was attached to something. Mm. Right. And, and attachment, right. Is, you know, again, and that's a Zen principle. If you get attached to an outcome, the chances are you're not going to get that outcome. Right. Right. I like to talk about, there's a thing that I call the law of repulsion. So everybody, a lot of people know. Oh, the I'm law so of- glad you brought this up because like, <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about this just on a personal level, but I'm glad that we're talking about it here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, most people have heard of the law of attraction and they're like, Hey, if you focus on the thing that you desire, it will be attracted to you. And that's, that's true. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, there are other metaphysical laws at play. There's one that I call the law of repulsion, which is that to which you are emotionally attached is repelled from you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, if you are emotionally obsessed and fixated on, you know, a, a certain, you know, monetary goal or a certain trade going the right way or anything along those lines, um, it's going to affect your decision making in a negative way, and there are many people out there who uh, are going to be able to take advantage of that, right? Because mm-hmm. and they're not doing it to take advantage of you. They don't know who you are. They're just buying something that they think is underpriced or selling something they think is overpriced, right? right? It's there's no malice here. It's you know the the whole point of the financial markets is to have a price setting mechanism 
that accurately reflects prices. And it's the most efficient way we've found to do that. Um, obviously, if you want to go see societies where the price setting mechanism isn't functioning, go look at Venezuela or North Korea or Cuba. Tends not to end particularly well. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so being, being able to come from a place of calm, right, mm-hmm. and, and using all the tools from Zen or other tools is really helpful. And I wouldn't say it's really helpful. It is necessary if you're going to be an investor or a trader. And all the more so if you're going to be a trader. Because yes. if you're doing it frequently, it's absolutely required. Because otherwise what happens, and I've seen this, is, you know, something goes down that you were positioned in. And even though your thesis is still good, somebody panics and then they panic sell. And mm-hmm. then it bounces back because their thesis was still good and they just got screwed. Yeah. Right? I just saw somebody do that a couple of weeks ago, you know, and then he called me up and I'm like, your problem is not, you know, your your thesis. Your problem is the fact that you're not following it because you got too stressed out and you panicked. Right. You're allowing those emotions or the, the desire to soothe the unpleasant emotions to overcome your actual reasoning and yeah. rationality in those decisions. Exactly. And, and then when, when the rational mind becomes a slave to the emotional mind, you've got issues. Yes. <laughs> As in any domain of life. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I think uh, on the stoic side, probably, you know, on the same thing of, you know, talking about the emotions and, and the rational mind, we have a saying amongst people who are profitable traders. We say that uh, the two biggest enemies that you have to face are fear and greed. Mm-hmm. Right. So fear, you know, we just talked about the thing with panic selling, right? If you're in a situation where uh, somebody, you know, where you're scared, right? Oh, this could go down farther. And, and you allow that to cloud your judgment and your analysis, then, you know, you're going to sell when at the bottom and then you're going to sell out of winning positions too quickly because you're afraid you're going to lose the gains. Like fear is going to hold you back. Um, mm-hmm. And then greed will also hold you back because what's going to happen is then you'll overextend yourself and you'll take too much risk. There's another saying we have that is bulls can make money, bears can make money, but pigs get slaughtered. Yes. <laughs> so. That's actually, that, that's a really good way of putting it. And what, what I think is interesting about those two things being the enemy is that's actually something that Marcus Raleigh has talked about in meditations in book two, where he talks about how the soul degrades itself. And mm-hmm. the third way is being overpowered by pain or pleasure. So if yep. you're overpowered by pain, you're overpowered by fear. If you're overpowered by pleasure, that's greed at stake. It's, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly the thing. Marcus yes. Aurelius, way back, he knew he he presaged that whole trading right. saying you know, <laughs> about fear and greed, and he's right. You know, and 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 it's true in you know in trading, it's true in any aspect of life, mm-hmm. right? You, you you know, if 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 you allow yourself to be dominated by those emotions and your rational mind gets gets subsumed, then it's game over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I think that's really interesting how you have looked at some of these principles as not like, oh, these can help. It's like, no, these are necessary if you're going to succeed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've been in situations where if I didn't use these principles, I would go bankrupt. Yeah. And because I did use these principles in the right place at the right time, I've made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. Right. Um, and now, you know, with, with you know, the proje- projected trajectory on some of my new, you know, algorithms, potentially millions over the mm-hmm. course of the next several years. Um, and so for me, they're very real. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Very real with very real consequences. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is at the end of the day, there are a lot of clever quant people out there. Mm. There are very few clever quant people who also have total mastery of their emotions and are free from fear and greed. Yes. <laughs> well, I've noticed like at least in myself, uh, in the past, I used to really value this idea of seeming clever to others. Ah, yeah, I've been but there. I was dominated by those emotions of kind of fear and greed. Oh, and the, the thing is, you know, <laughs> that's one of those cases where I always managed to succeed in seeming clever, mm-hmm. even though I was attached to it. But what it did is is the amount of energy that went into maintaining that facade, which mm-hmm. was actually totally unnecessary. Because right. I, when I just stopped putting energy into it, it didn't go away. Yeah. And then I just like didn't have to worry about it. I was like, okay, that's nice. If it went away, whatever. It seems like it's not, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was just like so much easier to just not care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we, you and I off air, we were talking about the, about Zen stoic philosophy and you know, some, some of the new developments in it have been this idea of intentions of humanity and intentions of delusion. Yep. And usually I, the way that I kind of frame them is, is you have the intention, you have the delusion. So they're counterparts to each other, not necessarily opposites, but the the fourth set is sincerity and performance. Performance, 
at least in the way that I've described it, falls under that like wanting to seem clever, being overly invested <laughs> in the perception of others versus the perception of yourself. And like you said, it takes a almost like this Herculean effort to keep up the facade. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I just got tired of it. Yeah. There's no way to live. Mm-hmm. You know, like at the end of the day, like the point of life is not to maximize, maximize the amount of dollars in your bank account. It's about maximizing the amount of joy in every day. Yeah. Right. And, and can money help with that? Sure. But it's just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people seem to get that backwards. Right? Yeah. Like I always say the goal of, of personal finance or investing or trading or any of it is to not have to worry about money. And so if you are worrying about money all the time for, for its own sake, then you've already lost. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do something that's so reckless that you have to worry about it so that you can pay your bills, well, then you've lost. So the yes. goal is to avoid those Doing two a bad things thing. so that you can <laughs> have joy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, like yeah, so another stoic principle that I have on my, my list here that I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of an extension of, of the whole fear thing, mm-hmm. is being able to accept whatever outcomes come yes. right so you know there's in investing or in trading there's a thing called risk premium which is that the more risk you're willing to take mm-hmm. the more you're going to be compensated on the return side yes. assuming you know that's all other things being equal right if you just jump to the highest risk thing and you're not evaluating the uh, you know the actual performance characteristics then you know you you can absolutely get screwed mm-hmm. um risk is not like a panacea but the point is that all other things equal on average higher risk investments will give higher returns yes. than lower risk investments, right? And that makes sense, right? You know, if you're, if you're holding a bond from the United States government, they're going to pay you a couple percent at best, mm-hmm. right? If you're holding a, a stock that, you know, can go up or down a whole lot more, you're going to get a bit better yield on that, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you hold a bond from a company that's more likely to default, they're going to give you a higher yield to justify that because you have to take more risk, right? Mm-hmm. So I am very, very, very risk tolerant, Yes. Right. Um, I have been in positions where my net worth has doubled in a day or cut, mm-hmm. gone cut in half in a day. Mm-hmm. And I can I can be in those positions calmly. Um, very few people yes. are capable Wait, of that. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's not super soothing of a thought <laughs> to most people. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and But again, you know, if, if I'm going to make, you know, 400% returns in a year, uh, that kind of, that's what's needed to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't recommend that for most people. Most people will not be able to do that while remaining calm. Yes. Right. And so I would advise you to be more risk averse than me because I'm an extreme case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, saying like, Hey, listen, you know, you, you probably should not try to swim as fast as Michael Phelps, because that's going to be a problem. Yes. Right? Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to get yourself exhausted and, and overtaxed and burned out. And, and so I, but I would say, you know, you do want to be aware of what your risk tolerance is mm-hmm. and you want to work on increasing your risk tolerance. The more risk that you can calmly mm-hmm. bear, the more money that you can make, right? Mm-hmm. Calmly being the key word there. That, if you're that not is calm, a key word. Yeah, yeah. If you're not calm, A, uh, it doesn't matter how much money you make, your life sucks um, because you're panicking. Right. And B, you're going to make bad decisions. Right. Correct. So increasing the amount of risk that you can calmly bear. And, and, and one, one important component of that is that people will often judge themselves very harshly if they lose money. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll judge themselves more harshly than they'll celebrate themselves if they make money. I don't judge myself. I also don't celebrate myself that I, I will a little bit just, you know, cause why not? It feels good, but I don't get sucked into that too much. And I certainly don't judge myself. This is one thing I've seen so many times mm-hmm. is people are like, Oh, well, if I'd only done this, then I wouldn't have lost this money or, Oh, yeah. if I'd only done this, I could have made so much. And it's like, you couldn't have known, bro. Yeah. And, and also how is that helpful right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, unless you're saying, Hey, listen, if I had done this, I would have made this much money. So I'm going to adjust my trading plan this way in the future. Mm-hmm. And then it's no emotional charge, just calmly tweaking stuff. That's fine. Yes. But once you start bringing in the emotional charge, it's a problem. Well, it's, yeah, I would say it's, it, that perfectly describes the the counterbalance of the intention of discipline versus the intention of de- expediency or the delusion of expediency. Right. Because if you can bear it, and but you're you're going into a risk that you're not calmly bearing, but you're just kind of like gritting your teeth and you know kind of cringing through the whole thing, kind of bracing yourself for a hit, then in my mind, you're not necessarily intending a sense of discipline and like actually calculating things or or thinking them through, you are doing expediency, but just high risk expediency. Like you're trying to win <laughs> and you think that you're, you know, Oh, I'm going against my comfort zone, but it's not quite what's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is, you know, you got to be real with yourself. Yeah. 
you know, I, in my case, right, like an example of doing it properly is a couple of weeks ago, I noticed, so there's this one protocol that I have that fires off once every one or two or three months. And it's very profitable. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed, you know, man, if I'd been in that for one more day, I would have made so much more money. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, if I think about it, the last time that this happened, it also same thing. I kind of look back on the pain. I'm like, you know what? There's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. It's not as it's not as dead set as the as the initial day, but that second day is you know normally a big up day more than seventy percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tweak the algorithm. Yes, you know I'm going to stay in for an extra day, right? It's gonna it's gonna add some more risk, but the returns make sense. The expected value makes sense. I'm willing to play that game. I didn't judge myself for not having done it in the past. I didn't right. beat myself up. I just said, hey, I'm going to tweak the algorithm. <laughs> yes, exactly, and it it seems like it's a a pretty big undertaking for most people to detach their identity from the results that they get. Yeah. And that's a huge problem because if, if you're, if you're, again, if, if that's the thing, if you're trying to focus on your identity there, mm-hmm. then you're not focused on what really matters, which is how to, you know, act intelligently. Right. Right. So, and this is one reason why if people are going to get into this, I highly recommend quant trading, chart trading, algorithm trading, because then if you're in the moment where you have to make a big decision and you're stressed and you, you, you may be stressed, mm-hmm. you're much more likely to screw it up. Yes. It's very hard to make a subjective decision about a large amount of money. Whereas if you have, you know, algorithms or you have, you know how to read charts and you have basic and, and, and an algorithm that's fancy language, but all it means is if then, if this happens, then I'll do that. That's yes. all it means. It's just having rules in advance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you have rules and you stick to those rules, then you can't beat yourself up for saying, hey, listen, I screwed up unless you broke the rules. Now, if the rules aren't working, then you can change the rules. You can say, hey, these rules haven't been working. I'm going to amend them. Yes. Right? And that's part of the journey. And in the beginning, the rules probably won't work so well, right? Right. That's how you may not have the best rules. You may not have the best rules. And over time, you refine it, right? Mm-hmm. But then the key is that you're not you know, letting the emotional mind run away and try to make a subjective decision because of what you read in the newspaper this morning. Because that's not a winning strategy. Now, are there some people (laughs) who can do that and can be so detached? Yes. They're very rare, right? I have a friend named Worth who um, he runs a multi-billion dollar hedge fund with one of the guys who is in the big short. Um, And he can can do that, right? Mm -hmm. He he absorbs all of the macroeconomic information and then he has his expectation of what's going to happen. He's normally right. Yes. But that guy's one in a million. Yeah. It's not a strategy that I recommend. Getting good at reading charts is a whole hell of a lot easier than that. Yes. Right. You can then, see patterns, right? Yeah, you, you can, can make patterns. calculations. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that is because it's technical and because it's if then, it, it almost forces you into operating from a detached state. Mm. I, I shouldn't say that because like people can still get really attached emotionally, mm-hmm. but their decision making has to be detached. Yes. You know? So that's very interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to your, your take on the the function of emotions and I, I think you and i've talked about this before but i i'm not so much on the train of thought of saying that you should always overcome your emotions with logic but i'm more on the train of thought that your emotions are attempting to tell you something and it's not always high resolution but it is maybe worth thinking through which doesn't mean listen to your emotions and immediately soothe them. <laughs> it means I'm having this feeling. Let me think through what might be causing it. What is your take on the function of emotions, not just in investing, but just whenever you have a, kind of like a spike of an unpleasant emotion? Yeah, well, so, I mean, first of all, obviously there are positive emotions. I think the point of positive emotions is just enjoy them. Yes. <laughs> um, but as far as unpleasant emotions, I always recommend to like my coaching clients, I'm always like, you have to first feel it in its entirety. Yes. Because there's a part of, as you say, there's a part of you trying to convey some message. Mm-hmm. So you've got to hear it out. Yeah. You've, you've got to honor it. can't just it. dismiss it. Right. You've got to honor it. And then you've got to determine how much truth is there. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes there's a lot of truth there. Sometimes there's not so much truth there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to release it. Right. So once you, and you can't release it until you fully honored it, until you fully felt it, it will not go away. Yes. And I notice it keeps coming back until you've learned everything you need to learn from it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So like once you've learned everything you need to learn, then you can release it. But what I don't do is I don't let my emotions guide my decisions. Yes. I make my decisions based on logic. And then what happens is the emotions can serve as bringing something to me that I may need to learn to upgrade my logical framework. Yes. Right. But I'm not just going to allow them to, you know, be the, the arbiters of my decisions. It's like a child, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm the parent, I'm going to listen to my kid. I'm not going to lock him in the basement, 
right? You know, I'm going to listen to the, to, to the kid and I'm, I'm going to, you know, some of the stuff they say may make sense, some of it's not. Ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to make a decision with both force and love, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's kind of how I view emotions in that way. That, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it because I, I think it is very nuanced. And most of the time when you tell somebody to listen to their emotions, what they hear is almost like be expedient in getting rid of yeah. them, yeah, it, <laughs> which exactly. that doesn't work that's, well that's, either. That's, that's not correct, right? And that's the difference between listening to your emotions and listening to your intuition, mm-hmm. right? So if you are calm and you and your beliefs are primarily aligned with the truth, you open up the scope for intuition and for your subconscious mind and for you know, potentially other aspects of your being to communicate things to you you wouldn't have known otherwise. And that's great. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as going with whatever your, you know, animalistic impulse emotions are. Right. You know, there's there's, people talk about, you know, oh, I have, um, you know, like I'm listening to my gut. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, okay, well, there are two kinds of listening to your gut. One of them comes with stress and a tightening of the chest and, you know, and is very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. The other is open, and even if it's not pleasant, it's it's open and it's free and it's it's you know smooth. Yes. and it's and it's a lot more certain, and it doesn't have that tightness in your chest. The latter is what you want to listen to. Most people use that though to justify operating based on the former, right? And right. that just leads to them just avoiding anything that they fear, and that's that's not a productive way to go about things. Right, yeah. They're they're usually going for the decision that's going to relieve the discomfort as quick as possible, whether that's the right decision or not. Yeah, and whereas for me, I'm more interested in, like, what's the root cause of that discomfort? Yeah, we were, we were just talking, <laughs> exactly, what's the root cause of that discomfort? Address that, not yeah. the discomfort and, and that, itself. And that, that, that is very often or almost always internal as well as external, or sometimes it's only internal, right? Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, every discomfort can be traced back to an attachment of some kind. Every discomfort can be traced back to an attack. Well, okay. I'm sorry. Every emotional discomfort. I, I'm ex- like physical pain. Yeah, yeah. You know, physical like pain. Obviously. Poker, you know. Yeah, that's not going to be pain. comfortable. <laughs> and that's not you being attached to anything. That's me, me sad. <laughs> but any like emotional discomfort is based on an attachment to something and some something that you can't surrender. Mm, okay. So we, yeah, I know we were talking about surrender earlier and how that kind of relates to the esoteric schools of thought around coaching. Yeah. So we are talking about the different uh, schools of co or the different ways of coaching. Is that, is it, can you touch on that for a moment? Like the different methodologies of coaching? Cause I think people typically throw it all into one bucket and then they'll either fall into coaching works really well or coaching doesn't work for me <laughs> or some, some variation of that. Yeah. So, um, so if, if you're looking at the four different schools that I, that I consider, right, you've got the NLP school, which mm-hmm. is like Tony Robbins is probably the best exemplar of that. Mm-hmm. You've got the um, positive psychology and spirituality school, which is like, you know, um, Esther Hicks, Joe Dispenza, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, there, there are risks there around spiritual bypass, but it's definitely got, you know, some useful tools. It's definitely worthwhile when used right. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, academic psychology, which includes therapy, uh, trauma psychology, somatic processing, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the esoteric methods, mm-hmm. which includes, you know, Zen, which uh, Stoicism was influenced by an esoteric school. I got started in a completely different esoteric school, but all the esoteric schools basically have like the same underlying principles, of, mm-hmm. you know, disidentification from the mind, observation, you know, and, and then at the higher levels, things like surrender. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, those those schools are, if you think about it that way, it helps to know where you are, right? So, like, I like to divide people into buckets. Um, it, from bottom to top, you have chaotic mindset, fragmented mindset, blocked, unified, and unshakable. Mm-hmm. If you're in chaotic and you want to go to fragmented, your best bets are the academic psychology and the positive psychology spirituality. Mm-hmm. If you're in fragmented and you want to go to blocked, you want to be looking at stuff like, um, the positive psychology, spirituality, and NLP. If you're in blocked and you want to go to unified, you want to be using NLP and esoteric methods. And if you're unified and you want to go to unshakable, um, esoteric is the only way to go there. Yeah. I, and I think that's really interesting that you brought it up because my background primarily was the positive psychology, spirituality is where I started. Then I went into the NLP, into the Tony Robbins world. And then when I realized that I was still blocked that's when I started kind of delving into the esoteric. And then I remember based on this framework, 
my thought process was very NLP and a little bit of esoteric, but I kind of lost out on the positive psychology, spirituality side. Like I stopped really, you know, using it. And then that flipped to where it was like mainly esoteric, a little bit of NLP. And now obviously being full-time in Zen stoic, it's primarily esoteric in terms of like what I do for myself. I'll still, you know, delve into the other ones here and there, depending on when I need them. But uh, I know we were talking about before they all have their place. Yep. And if you're using the wrong or, or the right one in the wrong context, it ceases to be the right one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's true of anything in life. Right. right? It's, it's just true. You know, like we're talking about investing and trading. If I'm, if I adopt a strategy that's designed for a high inflation environment, when we're in a deflationary environment, I'm going to get my ass handed to me. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You and know? I, and I noticed that what, what, what I also found really interesting is that the, the idea of being unshakable. Yeah. Right. was then stoic. I talk about this being of a philosophy that, aims at creating unshakable inner peace yeah and i, I love that word unshakable it's oh i do it, it, it's it, exactly to me it, it really but it's the, so rare right it, most there's so many rare. people who will say that they're unshakable and they're not yeah right so like just, just <laughs> they like to say it <laughs> yeah just just to give some context for that like i was i would not say that i truly reached uh, that unshakable level in an enduring more or less permanent way until like this summer mm-hmm. and since then I cannot think of a time when I've been upset for more than like two minutes. Yes. <laughs> it's like some mild irritation happens and I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, like, okay, <laughs> carry and on. I know, now. That sounds, I know that sounds bonkers and I'm still like trying to navigate it, but like, it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a great time. Um, but yeah, I, I'll give you an example, right? So there's a story that I know you love that mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if I first heard it from you or from someone else, but you know, the guy who finds the horse. Yes. Can you can you share that story? Uh, the the maybe one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, we've talked about this story in this podcast before, but if you uh, are unfamiliar with it, and you're listening to this, it's the story of maybe. So essentially, there's a farmer in a small village, and he one day his only horse runs away, and because it's a small village, everybody kind of knows everybody's business, and they go up to him and they're like, "Oh, this is this is such bad luck, you know, your only horse ran away." And the farmer looks at them and he goes, "Maybe." And then the following day, that horse that had run away comes back with 10 horses. So suddenly he has 10x the amount of horses that he he had before, or 11 technically. (laughs) Um, And all the villagers, they come and they say, wow, this is such good luck. Your horse came back and it brought more horses for you. He looks at them and he says, maybe. And then the following day, his son is riding the horse. His son picks one of the horses that's a little bit more hostile and gets thrown off the horse and breaks his leg. Once again, the villagers, this is so unfortunate. I mean, like, your son just broke his leg. Maybe. About a week later, a war breaks out in the region, and they're going and recruiting all the young men from all the villages, and this is a nasty, gruesome war. They come to the farmer's house, and his son can't go to war because he has a broken leg. And so the villagers like, once again, wow, this is such good luck. Your son doesn't have to go into fight this bloody war. He says, maybe. And the point of all of that is that nothing is ever concluded or finalized at any point in time unless you, in your own mind, try to conclude and finalize it. Right. So that just happened to me recently, right? So yes. um, uh, not this past week, but the prior two weeks, I had a really good two weeks mm-hmm. of trading. And, you know, man, this this is working wonderfully. Maybe. Yeah. And then this week didn't go so well. Wiped out all my profits from the prior two weeks <laughs> in one week. Right. And it was only four trading days. It was right. a short week. Wiped it all out. You know, it's oh man, that's so horrible. Well, maybe. maybe <laughs> you know, because right now it's set up to where there's a possibility that my most profitable protocol could trigger on Monday, in which mm-hmm. case I would then make a lot of money. But we'll yes. see. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe is like the the ultimate word of of surrender. Right? Yeah. It's um, and I, and I think that it's great that you brought up that concept because surrender is one of the hardest things to do, in like mentally, yeah. Like even to this day, like even knowing the value of surrender, it's still a difficult thing to do, even when you understand it to a degree. And it's like you said, in order to get to that place of being unshakable, a lot of it is surrender. So do you remember it was like a year and a half ago? you and I had a conversation where I, I had just, I had just gotten my ass kicked by some, by some of the trading I was doing and I was Mm -hmm. underwater. I, it was, I was underwater on borrowed money by more than 50%. Yes. And you know, we were trying to parse through it and like, we couldn't, we couldn't quite get to what was going on. And then somehow, some way, 
like a couple of days later, like something like dissolved and I had this surrender of, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yes. Right. And then from that point forward, like I, I went on a run where I just like, I 10 X in a month. It was amazing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it was like right after I did that surrender, it's yes. like miracles started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, every time, man, I, I always notice it's like, it's almost as if the emotional t- attachment is giving you the lesson that you need most, most, which is the unpleasant experience uh, being attached, yeah, like, being hey, attached. This, this attachment's unpleasant. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. is that, and then the moment you surrender, it's like suddenly things just get better. And you're it's like, actually really elegant that the universe is set up that way with the law of repulsion. It's really cool if you. Think yeah, it. it's fantastic. Right? It's amazing. Um, yeah. So let's see. Uh, another principle I had here on as from the Stoic side, dichotomy of control. Yes. Right. Oh, so if you're investing or trading, mm-hmm. you have to realize what can you control and what can't you control. Right, mm-hmm. you can control what trades you choose to make. Yes, you can control what algorithms or rules you choose to follow. You cannot control what the market does. That's there are right. a lot of people <laughs> who seem to be under the belief that they can control what the market does. Yes, or they they stress about what the market's doing, mm. but you can't control that. Yes, right? and Epictetus would tell you <laughs> that that is not something you, that's not a road you want to go down. That exactly. is exactly for pain and disaster. Yes. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the positive psychology school of thought might not be the best one to trade with. Yeah. It, no. <laughs> it seems to lend itself a lot to thinking that you can control things because of, you know, consistent affirmation. <laughs> yeah. and, and so just, just for some context for people, right, if you're looking at the law of attraction, mm-hmm. the way that the law of attraction or the law of repulsion, the way these manifest um, is, is not mediated solely by your reality. There's, you know, a lot of the rest of us here and there's, you know, an influence from many different sources. And if you're talking about moving something as big as the market, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Right. right? You're not going to be able to like positive affirm your way there. Now your health is a lot more susceptible because you have primary domain over that. Mm -hmm. Right. Now don't get me wrong. There are other components. There's, as I said, there's the law of repulsion. There's a law of understanding. There are these other things, Mm -hmm. right? But you're not going to move the markets with any of this stuff. Yes. What you can move is your own ability to perceive what's going on and prepare and and make the, and position yourself accordingly. Yes. That is something that you can use those techniques for 100%. to some extent. Yeah, That said, you, you absolutely do have to be balanced. If you go into the positive psychology school and you get detached from truth mm-hmm. and you enter into spiritual bypass, you're, you're going to get bankrupted. Yes. I actually, I actually once had somebody, I, I you know, I'd had a, a bad trading month and I was talking to some people about it and he goes, man, you just got to believe in yourself. And I was like, no, like, no, <laughs> that's Sir. not how this game works. <laughs> we are, we are not there right now. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I actually need to do some really hard thinking about what level of risk I'm willing to take and how I've constructed my trading, you know, algorithms, because if I don't, then, you know, I'm going to keep losing money. Yes. So, you know, you have to have this balance of optimism and realism. Yes. You know? You've got to have them both. Can you speak to the term spiritual bypass? Because um, there may be some listeners who maybe are not familiar with that term. Yeah, so spiritual bypass is when you either repress an unpleasant feeling mm-hmm. and don't allow yourself to fully feel it. Yes. Or when you delude yourself with regard to reality where you refuse to accept you know, a truth or a bit of evidence that's right in front of you because you want to believe this other thing. Yes. Right. Um, that's spiritual bypass. And what it ultimately leads to is, is a, it leads to you not really knowing what's going on because you're living in fantasy land. Mm-hmm. Um, B is it leads to a fragmentation of your psyche. So mm. you start to have trouble focusing, you start to have memory problems, you stop trusting yourself, et cetera, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And yeah, I noticed that when anything is used, to avoid what you think might be negative or unpleasant, it it becomes very tempting to engage in that spiritual bypass. Oh, sure. It's like, you know, one of the four noble truths, the first one, life is suffering, is like you try to avoid <laughs> that. <laughs> See, but, so I wouldn't say life is suffering. I, I really, I really, I think that for most people it is, but mm. once you release your attachments, it's not, right? And, and, and it takes a long time to get there, but... You know, my experience has not been that life is suffering. And the reason it's not is because I got completely okay with the suffering. Right. Completely on board with if this happens, it happens, that's fine. And then it went away. 
Interesting how that, <laughs> how that went down. I've heard another translation that I think is a little bit more accurate. It's like a slight word change there. But instead of life is suffering, there will be suffering. There will be suffering. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, that is more accurate. I can get on board with that yeah. one. I mean, because the thing is then it's, it's even, you know, A, it's, you know, you're, it's never going to be 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and B is, you know, even if it's not you, even if you do, you know, and, and I, ideally I hope this unshakable state for the past few months continues to last because it's, it's, it's wonderful. But even if it does, right, there are other people who are going to, you know, mm-hmm. be suffering and there's some degree of connection to them. Because, yes. You know, human being, we're all connected. And the question is just, you know, is there going to be a little or a lot? And a lot of that depends on how attached you are to it. Yes. Because if you just let it flow through you, then it's there for a second and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. These two shall pass. But if you get attached to it, then... Now you've got a whole tree growing of suffering growing there. That's right. <laughs> so I, I've had this thought recently that I'm actually very curious to hear your take on it. It's not fully uh, thought out at this point, but it's just something I started to notice. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at some of the things in my life, and this kind of comes back to the dichotomy of control, where I started to think to myself, I'm like, a lot of the goals that I have that – I intend to have this sense of control over like that. I really plan them out and I go after them. Like sometimes they happen. Sometimes stuff gets in the way and when they do happen, it feels good and it's satisfying. But the things that I cherish most in my life are all things that I never planned for, (laughs) for the most part, like the best friends that I have, the relationships that I've been able to create some of the experiences, like they've happened outside of my control not just outside of my control, but outside of my desire. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, surprise me in life. I'm curious to to hear what is your take on that idea that sometimes the best things in your life are not things you could have ever planned for. I have, I've had that happen both ways. I've had stuff where like I achieved exactly what I planned. Mm -hmm. Normally when I achieved exactly what I planned and it was as glorious as I hoped, I got there by a route that I never expected. Mm. And then there are other things where, like, I had no idea that this, you know, glorious <laughs> thing was here. And yes, <laughs> that so, this existed. <laughs> yeah, and it's been, and it's been amazing. Um, and that's always, like, mind-blowing. Um, one way I like to think about it is, you know, I have a training for my clients I call the alchemical secret, mm. right? And so it's, like, it, and, and it's this process that's, like, it's, 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 it's the closest thing to magic that I think you guys are ever going to come across. Right? <laughs> so, so what you do is you start off by getting in a state of, you know, just being, being grateful, being in, you know, just, just happy, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not even, not even focused on grateful, just happy, just not weighed down by stress, just disconnect from all that, mm-hmm. just be. Yes. Right? And then the second thing is you get in touch with your, 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 your power, your, the, the divinity, the divine spark in all of us, mm-hmm. right? But get in touch with, with that and the, the vastness of creation and that yes. you're a part of that, all that kind of stuff. That's step number two, mm-hmm. right? So now you're in a step that they, they would call gnosis, mm-hmm. right? Then the third step is a mix of gratitude and visualization. So it's a focus on your desire along with gratitude for it as if it's already happened, mm-hmm. right? That's the third step. And then the fourth step is surrender. It's just completely releasing all attachments to it. It's going about your life. Mm-hmm. If it happens great. If it doesn't happen, cool. And when I've done that, and I've done all four of those steps properly, right? The first step of getting into a high state, just so you know, music really helps with that, mm-hmm. right? And then you can jump to the empowerment, which you can start off with like personal empowerment and personal affirmations that you have references for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then move move on to kind of the the greater cosmic unity and unity consciousness thing yes then focused desire and visualization along with gratitude for it as if it's already happened Mm -hmm. um, which is something i like to call time compression yes and then the surrender right and then and just the faith that you know whatever's going to come will come and will be in the best interest and when i've whenever i've done that correctly um i've either gotten exactly what i wanted Mm -hmm. uh something better than i wanted or uh, realized that everything that I was going for there was not in my best interest and something completely different that, you know, I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> right? Like it's, 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 it's been, it's been phenomenal. So that's kind of the way I approach that. That's actually really interesting. Um, it seems like it's combining elements of multiple of those schools of thought that we referenced earlier. It, it, it is, it is um, derived from a very old 
esoteric method from um, from hermetic schools way, 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 way mm. back. I've I've gone deep on a lot of stuff that's like way outside of most people's realm. Yes, <laughs> I, I remember. I've, I've been fascinated with some of these conversations. I remember, I think, on the first episode that we talked about, we talked about the idea of fire and ice. Yeah. Which, um, that was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it, I mean, again, it's it's stuff that's been there, but it's just like in the old days, like if you tried to teach this publicly, they would just kill you. Right? Yeah, like, the, <laughs> like what the do you church do? was not interested in public esoteric schools at all. No, right? So, <laughs> you know, we're at this point in history where you know we're people who have. I mean, in my case, this is very lucky that I met the professor who brought me into some of the stuff and like mm-hmm. got me interested in some of these resources. But now it's possible to dig and get that info and to get it out to the world and nobody's going to burn you at the stake. So that's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> at least not like actually burn you at the stake. They yeah, might yeah, do yeah. it like socially. Hateful comments. Yeah. Hateful yeah, comments. <laughs> that doesn't affect me. Mean tweets and such, you know, all, all the bad things <laughs> in the care. digital People space. Mean tweet about me all the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they will be fine. Um, well, since I referenced it, I don't want to leave the audience hanging on this. Um, can you, briefly describe fire and ice and that that concept because that that really blew my mind the first time you shared it with me (laughs) yeah so it's derived from you know what what they call old schools of magic um but fire was the reference to the aspect of the the mind and emotions Mm -hmm. that's oriented towards external conflict Mm -hmm. so that would be complaining um entitlement around perceived but very rarely actually codified rights Um, (laughs) blame and revenge Mm -hmm. and then ice is the part of the the conditioned mind emotions that's based around internal conflict so that's people pleasing that's authority um you know that believing or acting as authorities tell you or want you to believe or act um Mm -hmm. uh uh, false fronts and self-judgment interesting Uh, do you see some do you like as you say it like i kind of see it a little bit but i'm curious from your perspective do you see some of that happening today in some of the rhetoric that occurs whether it's online or with the media (laughs) it's like it seems like it's all day (laughs) i mean mean, you can see it not just in individual people making individual you know comments and tweets and all this kind of stuff you can also see it at a macro level so if you look at a whole nation Mm -hmm. the tone of the nation and the leaders that they elect is determined by those various factors and it's just like in any individual's mind, you have all these competing splinters of consciousness, mm. right? That ultimately boil up into whatever actions they take. Um, with a whole nation, you have all these competing splinters of consciousness being individual people yes. that ultimately boil up into the actions that nation takes. Very interesting. Yeah, I remember you and I were, were discussing previously um, while we were enjoying some of this Kona coffee that I got in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were, we were discussing previously how like this whole idea of nuance and middle ground is almost like dirty words today. (laughs) Like nobody wants to hear about the nuance or the middle ground. They just want to latch onto one side. They want to swing the pendulum to whatever side of the argument that they feel justified on. Yeah. And, and, you know, people do this uh, because that's all ego. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And people do the same thing in, you know, financial debates. I have this, I've seen this all the time. People like they have this whole story. Well, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen. They're like, well, you don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, the P&L statement tells the tale. Right. Right. And, you know, like, we'll see. I'm going to place my money based on what I believe, you're going to place your money on your what you believe. Though they often don't. They often are like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. It's like, okay, well, you, you clearly don't believe it as strongly as you say you do. Yeah, uh, I just want to talk about know? it. Yeah. You just want to have the talking point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And, 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 but it all comes down to ego. And right. And since, you know, since the theme of this is about you know, investing and trading, I, I think now is a good time to warn people about the dangers of ego. Yes, because please there are, do. Because there's uh, a situation that we – that you see there's some people who are more interested with being right than with making money. Mm. And they don't say that. They say that they want to make money. But if you look at their actual behaviors, they're more focused on is this trade a winning trade or a losing trade mm-hmm. than their total P&L. So what happens is they, they won't close. Let's, let's say you have a trade that's a losing trade. Mm-hmm. And it becomes clear that it's not going to bounce back. They're hoping, oh, well, you know, I don't I want it to be a winner, so I'm just going to wait till it bounces back and then I'm going to sell it. And meanwhile, it just falls off a cliff, mm-hmm. right? Or you'll have something where like it was down and then it reverses and it gets back to being a winner and they're like, oh, I'm going to sell it now and take the win, even though the prognosis is good going forward because they're judging themselves based on whether they were right or wrong on any given trade because their ego is focused mm-hmm. on that. And that causes people to hang on to stuff for way too long that they shouldn't and it causes them to sell out early when they shouldn't. Yes. And, and then the net result is that the P&L is red. 
Yes. So, you know, and it all comes down to, oh, well, I want to be right. It's like, I don't care if I'm right or wrong. Like the whole reason I'm playing this game is so that I can have money that frees me up to do other things. Correct. Frees me up to, you know, uh, go to Costa Rica on this retreat with these amazing people that I did a couple of weeks ago, or frees me up to go invest in, you know, the next stage of Oculus and marketing the book and whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a tool, right? And the reason I'm playing this game is to get this tool, Yes. I don't give a crap how many right or wrong trades I have. Exactly. He's nothing to me. Right. Because if at the end of the day your PL is in the red, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, then you lost the game. Yeah. <laughs> but I was right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's just that's just the mind. That's just the ego getting attached to, you know, being right. Mm. Uh, and it's the same thing, you know, with what you were talking about earlier, right? People take these absolutes and then they defend them to the, you know, almost death. It's sometimes literally. To yeah. Their death sometimes literally to their because, death because they want to be right. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot and, and I'm sure this has gone on throughout history, but we're seeing a lot of people valuing their social self from their actual physical self. Yes. And like the image that they portray to others or the group that they so they, that they identify with versus like their actual and the health. The problem is that if you do that, you're very easily manipulated by psychopaths who mm. have ulterior motives. And then those ideologies that are built by truly psychopaths who are trying to control people, and I, you know, these exist on both sides of the political divide. Then what happens is once people get bought into these pseudo realities, they themselves start acting like psychopaths. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most psychopathic things you can do to another human being is to try to force them to believe something that they don't believe. Yes. But I said force, not persuade. Right. Right. But because, and and, and like, I see that all the time, man. It's like fundamentally psychopathic behavior. So I just don't engage with it. Yeah. I I just want no part of that. (laughs) I I would say so. Yeah. That's a very important thing because you, you, it's true. You do see things that are like, uh, that would resemble psychopathic behavior. Like I, I've seen so many instances where like, if you ever read the comments on anything controversial, people will literally be like, I stopped talking to my family over this. It's like, whoa, <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, like, I, think, I, think, he, I, I talked to somebody recently and he said, you know, 70% of my social circle, I no longer speak to. Whoa. Friends, family, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I was thinking, yeah, and I said this to him, I was like, Anything that causes you to socially isolate yourself that much mm-hmm. is probably not healthy. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I'm lo- losing friends, but I'm I'm waking up. Like, what? <laughs> like, You have an odd definition of waking up. Because normally what's happening there is there's an attachment to other people believing what you believe. Right. And in a truly awake person does not have an attachment to anybody else believing Correct. anything else. Yeah. So therefore the social self gets priority in that style of thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, there are more people that believe what I want to believe than I have friends and family, so I'm going to go ahead and go there. <laughs> and then if these people don't accept me for it, then whatever, which is a crazy concept. <laughs> so you, you were talking about the ego a little bit, and mm-hmm. I always like to ask this with anybody who mentions it, but how do you define the ego? That's uh, a good question because there's so many definitions. Yes, I've noticed. <laughs> so there's the Freudian definition of the ego, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the, the balancing act between the superego, which is like the inhib- inhibition, and the id, which is the primal instinct. Mm-hmm. There's the um, Buddhist definition of the ego, which is, you know, the the mind, the conditioned mind, as it were. Yes. Right? And the, the thoughts and emotions of the conditioned mind. Um, I personally have a very technical definition of the ego. Um but Very curious to hear. The, the, the way that I was using it when I just said, you know, that's all ego is um, I was using it in the Buddhist sense. Mm-hmm. Um, for my clients, once I've fleshed out things for them, mm-hmm. um, my very, very technical definition of the ego is, so the awareness or soul is the observer. Yes. Right? And, and that just, uh, you know, all, all that does is decide what's true and what's valuable. It doesn't think, it doesn't do anything else. It just decides what's true and what's valuable. And mm-hmm. I would argue that that is not separate from universal consciousness. There's mm-hmm. perceived separateness. I like to use a tide pool analogy. It's a mm-hmm. tide pool. It's still connected to the ocean. The more separate you make it, the more it stagnates. The more mm-hmm. you let the ocean flow in, the more healthy it is. Yes. Right? Um, so the awareness, uh, the ego is the part of the mind that does the of the awareness around reprogramming the other parts of the mind. Mm. 
splinters of consciousness and the fire and ice and the stress and all that other kind of stuff. Yes. That's my very technical definition. That's interesting. That's a, that's actually, I've not, I've not heard that definition before. So, and so normally what happens is if the awareness is asleep, Mm -hmm. then the ego in that case acts as the Buddhist term. Right. Mm. And then keep in mind, like the fire is going to correlate to the id and the ice is going to correlate to the superego. Right. So this all, this is this. And I think this is what, um, you know, Freud missed is that he only looked at that level of the mind. He didn't look at beyond to the awareness and how that interacts because in most people it's asleep, which I Mm -hmm. I understand. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, your mind will, once you, once you start like examining it, the first thing we'll try to do is bully you. Right. With just brute force emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're like, well, I don't have to accept that. Right. Right. Um, Then it will try to trick you by like having you like, you know, analysis paralysis and outthinking yourself and motivated cognition, all this other kind of stuff. And once you get vigilant enough that it can't deceive you anymore, then you actually get a harmony where the mind is serving the soul or the awareness instead of the other way around. And that's where you want to be. That is, uh, that's spot on. I feel like, <laughs> like as you described, that, I was like, yes, that is the cycle that I went through yeah. <laughs> over the last like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, how about that? <laughs> I, yeah, I have, um, I've been through that cycle. I have helped people through that cycle. I have come to understand it very well. <laughs> yes. Excellent. All right. Well, that, I, that, that is actually a really cool definition of the ego. I hadn't previously thought of it like that. Um, I'll be adding that to what I, how I typically yeah, describe it. Yeah, by all it. means, go ahead. Yeah. I, I usually see at least the social institution of the ego or like kind of like what, what a lot of us are talking about as like the the pointing to the individual experience, but not the actual individual experience itself. It's yeah. That's a good way of, of putting it. It's, it's the closest thing in the mind to the awareness. Yes, absolutely. And it's like, it, it measures and analyzes the quality of the individual experience, but many people believe that that is them. And that is the individual experience right. itself. And that's not right. It's more like the ego is the CEO of the company. The, the, uh, fire and ice and all the other splinters of consciousness because they're more than just the the uh, dividing it into a unitary um, id and a unitary superego isn't accurate because there's really like many under each category mm-hmm. and there's stuff that falls under other categories around yes. identity all these other things here right um, those are all employees mm-hmm. but the awareness is the, the company's owner yes right and so if the CEO is running the company not in the interest of the owner you have a problem yes and if the owner doesn't show up to work because the owner is you know, uh, playboys, you know, partying all the time and, and is not conscious and doesn't know what the business is doing, then that's how you get that situation. And that's how most people operate because they're not conscious of themselves as the awareness. That's a, that's a great way to like paint the picture <laughs> of, of what's going on. <laughs> uh, so I know you're, you're writing a book right now and I wanted to make sure that we, you know, kind of touched on this yeah. the book as well as what you do to help people in terms of coaching. Um, so let's start with the book. What I know you're in process. You've been writing this book, book for a the bit. The book is actually completed. Um, just some small tweaks that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Science of Career Freedom, How to Build a Career Doing What You Love. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it teaches people how to, uh, you know, from from just from the jump, you know, how does people get into states where they're burned out and not fulfilled? You know, uh, what are the basic metrics that you need to diagnose where you are and mm-hmm. what's going on? Right. Um, and then how do you actually go and change that? What, what do you do internally, right, to clear out all the noise and the static so you can actually get in touch with your authentic values? How do you discover a career purpose that's going to be fulfilling until you retire or even beyond where you don't even want to retire? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you put that together? How do you plan out the bridges to get from A to B? Because normally that purpose takes time to build. Yes. How do you execute those steps, whether it be in employment or in freelancing or in entrepreneurship? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, top to bottom how to kind of thing. Uh, and, and, you know, if all those tools are applied properly, you know, it, it, it will work. Now some, you know, very often it, as, as a coach, you know, people will get a book and they will need some help applying the tools. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are options that I have to help people with that. Um, right now I'm, I'm sorting out a lot of the marketing stuff because I'm, you know, planning for this to be a pretty decent launch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it is, I do not have an expected publication date at this time, mm-hmm. but, um, the book is ready to go and it is, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, man. 
I, as you describe it, I'm like, I, I want, I'd love to read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when it's out, I'll let you know. And you know, if uh, you, you have an email list, I assume. And yeah. A bunch, I'm sure a bunch of the people on the podcast are on the email list, right? Yeah. Yeah. We can shoot something out to them. Yeah. That would be awesome. May have you come back to, you know, do an, yeah. e- do an episode dedicated to the principles and within the book. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Happy and to, man. yeah. So the science of career freedom, science of career freedom, because it is a science, right? Mm-hmm. I have, reliable repeatable processes and especially when it comes to like getting clear on purpose most people don't have that yeah i think i've never seen anybody who has anything like that no i have not come across somebody meditate under a waterfall and eventually it will come to it's like yeah (laughs) there's a lot of stuff but it's it's actually it it is something that you can do scientifically and if you look at my clients and i've worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of clients um, Mm -hmm. long term and i've worked with you know in terms of like short-term interaction coaching you know well over a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the people who have gone through my process of the yes. clients who have actually followed every step, I have a 100% success rate on getting them something where like, holy crap, this, this would be really awesome. I am really enthusiastic about this. I don't know anybody else who can say that. Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen you at work. I've seen you speak, you know, at, at events and, you know, I've had you on this podcast and I don't doubt it. So I'm, I'm actually very excited to read the book myself. Yeah, man. So I had uh, one last question for you, and you've answered this question in a variation before, but I'll ask it again since, you know, we're at a different time in life. Uh-huh. <laughs> so clearly you've learned a lot, a lot of experiences. And the question that I'll, I, I like to ask is if one day you had the misfortune of losing everything that you learned, but you can keep one principle, what would that be? I'm going to say the same thing that I said before, and that is, be brutally honest with yourself and with others. Yes. Truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. Because at the end of the day, if, if you're going to grow back, if mm-hmm. you can learn everything new, you can only build that. Truth is the only foundation on which we can build. Yes. Anything else will, will fall apart at some point. Absolutely. That's very, very true. So, Sean, where can people find you if they want to look you up online? Uh, you can go to www.oculusinstitute.com. I don't have anything really about investing up there or trading. Um, uh, I, I'm going to be honest. I do not want to get a flood of emails from people like, oh, you know, I need to make 400% returns and blah, 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 blah. Like if I don't know you and I don't, you know, mm. like have a sense of what your thing is, it would be irresponsible for me to like give out trading advice mm. and, it, you know, potentially illegal depending on how it was done. <laughs> so um, if people, if you guys want to talk about general principles, Zen stoicism, all that, you know, the esoteric stuff, then, you know, you can shoot, shoot an email to Sean at Oculus Institute.com. Um, if you're emailing me for stock tips, I'm not going to reply. Right? <laughs> um, Say it brutal honesty. <laughs> yeah, I'm br- br- brutally honest on that. Um, just because, uh, again, if I don't know people, it's it's primarily out of a concern for other people because I don't want to tell people something without knowing their risk situation, mm. and then again be potentially liable. Like because as a, as a as an investment advisor, like you have a whole client intake process, and mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of stuff that's done there, right? Um, you know, if people want me to point them to some good books, I'm happy to do that. One of the best ones I ever read was Secrets of Profiting in Bull and Bear Markets by Stan Weinstein. There's another really good one, um, Mastering the Trade by John Carter, which has, uh, the only part you really need to read is the part on trading psychology. That's what really matters, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff where, like, I think is the best place for new people to get started. If you are an experienced trader and you want to talk to me about that, um, you know, and you want to kind of, you know, share some feedback, I'm I'm open to that, right? But, you know, give me the information. And again, this is... It's going to be at a more general level. I'm not going to tell you specific trades because, again, mm-hmm. that's not legal for me to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not at an investment advisory situation. I don't know your position. It's not, it wouldn't be legal. It wouldn't be responsible. Yes. Um, yeah, it, seem, it seems like it's more important to point people in the direction of timeless like, principles. Yeah, exactly. Timeless principles actually educate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing that I like to say is like the, the the most important thing to ever like improve your financial situation. And if people in, if people are in a position mm-hmm. they want to improve their financial situation, the best advice I can possibly get give you is to avoid the four horsemen of the financial apocalypse. Number one, impatience. Mm. Number two, envy. Number three, nostalgia, which is oh I have more money back then. And number four is scarcity. Right? Is you know that stress of am I, am I going to have enough? If you can get rid of those four in your life, then you will see things turn around rapidly another good book on fi- just financial mindset secrets of the millionaire mind by t harv ecker 
So timeless principles, um, you know, that kind of stuff I'm totally down to talk about. Um, That's awesome. It's just (laughs) one of the things is that with, with money and with trading, again, people can get, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, some, some sob story of like, I did this and then I spent this and then this, and then I got the divorce and then I'm bankrupt and I need you to help me. It's like, without knowing your situation and without having the groundwork of those principles, it would not be mm-hmm. responsible for me to do so. It would not be in your best interests. Yes. Because I don't even know if you're even going to be able to do what I tell you to do without, you know, like having freaking out on trading psychology. I have no idea. Right. Right. So I, I possibly I, that, being this exposed is, this is to four horsemen. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not just to protect me. It's to protect you. Yes. Right. So as I said, you know, timeless principles, totally down to talk about Sean at Oculus Institute.com. Um, specific trades. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sean, thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Path, man. It's always awesome to have you. Thank you for having me, Victor.